everyone, I hope you're all doing so well and welcome back to the Criminal Makeup Podcast. Each episode we dive into the minds of some of the worst criminals in history and today we're going to be talking about the case of Krista Pike. So Krista Pike, it turns out, is the youngest woman ever to be sentenced to death in the US. Which makes you think, what the hell has she done? Like she must have done something pretty terrible. And when I looked into the details, I was like, wow, this is unbelievable. First of all, Krista had a terribly abusive, traumatic childhood. Like it really is one of the worst I have seen in these cases. But secondly, Krista also found herself following a very troubled path. She lost her way. She fell into a very messy teenage love triangle. And in the end, this resulted in a brutal and sadistic murder. It was so cold and so sadistic that this is what led Krista to becoming the youngest woman ever sentenced to death in the USA. A title that she still holds to this very day. And then tragically, in the middle of all of this was a young girl named Colleen who was completely innocent. So that is what we are going to be talking about today. And I do need to give a few warnings because we will be discussing childhood abuse, including sexual abuse. So please be aware of this. But with that being said, let's dive in. Krista Pike was born on the 10th of March, 1976, making her a Pisces. And she grew up in Beckley, West Virginia, where she grew up with her mom, Carissa, and her dad, Glenn Pike. Now, like I've already said a million times, Krista's childhood is traumatic. It is, it's terrible. It's, it's extreme. First of all, her parents, both of them were alcoholics. And throughout the pregnancy, Krista's mom continued to drink alcohol and she drank a lot of alcohol. I'm talking a lot when she is pregnant. And she drank that much alcohol. It actually resulted in Krista suffering brain damage. She suffered quite significant damage to her frontal lobe. And for those of you that possibly are not aware, the frontal lobe is pretty important. It controls behavior, regulation, and decision-making. So Krista, essentially, she has brain damage. She has a head injury. So that is before Krista is even born, like she has this. So this is what I mean she pretty much suffered from the get-go. So as soon as Krista was born, her mom could not care less. She wasn't interested in being a mom. She wasn't interested in her daughter, Krista. She always prioritized drinking, partying before her daughter. Also, the conditions of the house that Krista was living in were absolutely disgusting. The house was a mess and it wasn't just untidy, it was unhygienic. Krista's mom never cleaned ever. And if you can imagine a house with a baby um, that's never cleaned, they also do have animals. So if you can imagine a house that is never cleaned, it's going to be disgusting. There was literally, and I mean literally, rubbish on the floor. And the surfaces were thick, thick with dirt. Can you imagine how disgusting, how much that would have smelt? That is no environment for anyone to live in, let alone to raise a baby in. And on occasions when family members would come round to the house, they would find baby Krista playing in dog poop. Yeah, 
You heard that right. Like I said, they had animals. I don't quite know how many, but they at least have a dog. And the dog would just poo and wee all over the house and no one would clean it up. And baby Krista was just there playing in dog poo. And as you can imagine, playing in dog poo that would lead to so many health problems. That is so disgusting because you can imagine Krista as a baby, she doesn't realize, oh, you shouldn't really touch dog poo with your fingers. And if you do, you should wash your hands straight away. She probably doesn't realize that. Of course she doesn't. She's a baby. So she's probably like putting her hands in her mouth like babies do. And it's just honestly disgusting. Krista also had a number of health problems. I mean, I'm not surprised, but she actually did have a number of health problems from her brain injury. She she would have pretty bad seizures, but her mom would just ignore them. Ah, these health problems, they'll go away on their own. And these seizures that Krista was having were serious. Sometimes they could even be life-threatening, but her mom could not care less. All she cared about was herself. All she cared about was drinking alcohol, partying, going out. There was one incident where Krista was 14 months old and she was being looked after by a babysitter because her mom was out drinking and partying. And she had a really bad seizure while she was in the care of this babysitter. Now the babysitter panicked and rushed her to the hospital because it was a very bad seizure because that is what you should do. And then the babysitter called up Krista's mom and said, oh, by the way, I've had to take your daughter to the hospital because she's had a really bad seizure. I think you should come and look after her, check on her. And any normal parent in that moment would put the phone down, leave wherever they are and get to that hospital as quickly as possible. But Krista's mom was not a normal parent. She said to the babysitter, oh, well, it looks like you've got it all under control. You don't need me there. I'm just going to carry on drinking and partying. And that pretty much sums up Krista's mom for you. She couldn't care less. Now, if that wasn't bad enough, that was not the only bad influence in Krista's life. So you may be thinking, well, where's the dad? Because obviously I did mention that she grew up with her dad like five minutes ago. So Krista's dad, Glenn, he was unemployed and he was at the home pretty much all day, every day. So he should have been the parent looking after Krista. But did he? No, he never did any of the housework. He never looked after his daughter. He never cleaned up. He never cleaned up the dog poo. And when Krista was two years old, her parents actually did get divorced. And Krista kind of lived between the two houses. Quite often, she would be sent to live with her dad when her mom just couldn't cope with her. So when Krista was sent to live with her dad on occasions, he was actually physically abusive to her. He would beat her with a leather belt if she ever disobeyed him. He would quite often roll up her top and expose her skin on her back. He would then fold the belt in half so it was like double to increase the pain and the thickness and just the discomfort and he would whip her he would beat her and he would do this up to six times a day this left krista with horrific injuries and she still has scars from those beatings to this day so that was her dad not a nice person. I feel like as we go through this, we're just going to get worse and worse. Now we need to get onto Krista's grandparents because when her parents were not interested in looking after her, Krista would often get dumped at her grandparents' house. So we're first going to talk about her maternal grandparents. So that is her mom's mom and dad. So when she was left at her maternal grandparents' house, it turns out that it wasn't that much better because the apple does not fall far from the tree. Krista's maternal grandmother was also a raging alcoholic. She also prioritized alcohol 
over everyone. And to be honest, this is probably where Krista's mom learned it from because her own mom was like that. So she didn't have a good motherly role model there either. So she just passed on the generational trauma. But apparently Krista's maternal grandmother despised Krista because Krista looked and reminded her too much of her dad, Glenn. It's very confusing. And it's like, okay, that's not Krista's fault that she looks like her dad. Like that's not her fault. That's not a reason to hate her. She's an innocent child. So because of this, whenever Krista stayed at her maternal grandmother's house, she would be verbally abused. Like Krista has experienced every kind of abuse under the sun. But she would also be physically abused there if she ever misbehaved. She would also be locked in a closet for hours when her grandmother just didn't want to deal with her anymore. So that was the grandparents on her mother's side. Now we need to get to the grandparents on the dad's side because it turns out that it's even worse on this side. Because Krista's paternal grandmother, who was a woman called Delpha Pike, she was actually good. She was actually the one parental role model in Krista's life that was actually good and we'll get to her in a minute. But she had a boyfriend whose name was Ernest. And, oh God, Ernest is a disgusting human being. Because when Krista would stay at her grandmother Dalfi's house, Ernest would sexually abuse her. And this started from the age of two years old. It just seems like everything in Krista's life, she just goes from one traumatic experience to the next. And she just keeps getting pushed to the next person, to the next person. I just don't think I've ever come across a case where a child faces so much trauma from so many different households. It's like Krista has no safe space ever. The whole time she was growing up, from the moment she was born, she didn't know what a safe place was. She didn't know what a support system was. So that is what Krista's childhood was like. She was just pushed onto one household after the other. But it turns out within all of that trauma, there was one shining light. And like I said, her paternal grandmother, Dalfa, was actually a good person. Now remember, she is the one with the monster boyfriend, Ernest. And as far as we're aware, she didn't have a clue that sexual abuse was going on. She didn't actually know that Ernest was a monster. And as far as as I could tell from my research, as soon as she found out that he was sexually abusing her granddaughter, she kicked him out. And from that moment on, as soon as Ernest was out of the picture, Krista and her grandmother, Delphi, actually had an amazing relationship. Because Delphi would actually care about Krista. She loved Krista and made Krista feel loved. And this was the first time that Krista wasn't neglected. It is the first time in Krista's life where she felt safe. So her life continued being passed from one household to the other. But whenever she was at her grandmother Delphi's house, she had an amazing time. Like she always looked forward to going to her grandmother's house. And eventually Krista actually went on to permanently live with her grandmother because no one else wanted her and her grandmother actually did. And finally, Krista was happy. But unfortunately for Krista, this would be short-lived because her grandmother Delphi when Krista was just 12 years old, she passed away from cancer. And this absolutely devastated Krista because the one person that loved and cared about her, the one person that made her feel safe 
was now taken away from her. And following the death of her grandmother, Krista fell into a very deep depression. So first of all, she moved back in with her mom and her mom was not very happy about this. She couldn't care less about Krista, she couldn't care less about her well-being, and she couldn't care less that Krista has just lost her grandmother. The only thing that Krista's mom seemed to care about at this moment in time was the revolving door of boyfriends. And as for Krista's dad, because you've got to realize that it is his own mother that's just passed away with cancer, well, he couldn't care less either. Krista's dad had actually found a new family, a new wife, and he was having children with her. And he told Krista this. He told her that he wasn't interested in her anymore because he was off being busy with his new family. So again, Krista is now living a life where no one cares. No one cares about her. But now we get onto another very significant, very traumatic event. Because one day when Krista was just 12 years old, she was just walking down a street in her neighborhood when all of a sudden a stranger grabbed her, pulled her into some bushes, and raped her. And the details of this rape are honestly absolutely horrific. Like I've actually read the details from the court documents and I don't want to repeat what happened. Like I just don't, I don't, just don't think I can. If you want to know the details, you can find the court document yourself and read about it. But all I will say is that this man, he also involved his dog in the rape and the sexual assault. And I'm just like, oh, no, I can't. Now, following this rape, and you've got to remember that Krista is only 12 years old. This is a horrific experience for anyone, but she actually found the strength to confide in a school teacher. And amazingly, from her talking to the school teacher, they managed to track down the man, arrest him, and charge him. But unfortunately, the trauma does not stop there. Because following the rape and the investigation, the police, did inform Krista's mom about what had happened. And like I've said, if Krista's mom was a normal mom, hearing that your child has been raped has got to be one of the worst things that you can hear as a parent. But Krista's mom is not a normal parent because Krista's mom thought that her daughter was lying. She did not believe that her daughter had been raped. Even though the police had managed to track down the man, arrest him and charge him. And when he was in custody, he actually pleaded guilty. This man, this man that raped Krista pleaded guilty. Yet Krista's mom still chose not to believe her. So now we move on to Krista's teenage years and it just continues to get worse. Immediately after the rape, Krista fell into a very deep depression, which resulted in Krista trying to take her own life. But following this, trying to cope with all of the trauma from her childhood, but the rape and the loss of her grandmother, she turned to drugs and alcohol. And this again was learnt behavior because this is what her mom did. At the age of 13, she was drinking a lot of alcohol. She was also smoking a lot of marijuana. She also started to harm herself as well because she just felt so numb. She just felt nothing. She felt completely empty. Now, throughout her whole life, Krista's mom didn't care about her and never really showed her any attention until now. Because Krista was now drinking alcohol, smoking, taking drugs. These were all things that Krista's mom enjoyed doing herself. So now, 
all of a sudden, Krista is interesting. It's crazy, isn't it? It's like, oh my God, your daughter is literally screaming out for help and you decide to become her drinking buddy. Now remember, Krista's mom has a revolving door of boyfriends and a lot of these boyfriends are, quote, touchy feely with Krista, which is just honestly disgusting. But there were a couple of these boyfriends that did have a very significant impact on Krista. Firstly, her mom's fourth husband, a man called Danny Thompson, would regularly whip Krista. And this man is so sick because on top of whipping and beating Krista, after he was done with that, he would take the whip and hang it on Krista's own bedroom wall as a constant reminder that violence can happen at any time. It's like, how sick is that? That Krista, as a teenager, still a very young child, in her own bedroom where she is supposed to feel safe, she has to look at the very weapon that her mom's husband uses to abuse her. Then there was another man, a man that I only know as Steve. I don't know his last name. And this is when Krista was 13 years old. And Steve is a monster. Steve would wake Krista up in the middle of the night just to beat her. He would also, quote, wrestle her, but he was actually just feeling her up. And also on many occasions, Steve would twist Krista's nipples for his own gratification. Krista did confide in her mom multiple times about what was happening to her. But again, <laughs> her mom being the stand-up person that she is, accused her daughter of lying. Again, she chooses not to believe her daughter. And then one day, the family are having like a little get-together. They're having a little barbecue and Steve is there. And Krista was annoying him for some reason. She probably wasn't doing anything. But Steve got so annoyed at Krista that he punched her squarely in the face in front of the whole family. And thankfully, the extended family seemed to be decent human beings because many of the family members actually reported Steve to CPS. Now, Krista's mom was furious about this because she didn't believe her daughter even though she was there at the barbecue and she saw Steve with her own eyes punch her daughter, she still didn't believe her. And the abuse continued. Many people actually witnessed Steve abusing Krista, even Krista's own friends. One of Krista's friends actually saw Steve dragging Krista by the hair into her bedroom and slamming the door shut. Moments later, Krista came running out of her bedroom, trying to pull her trousers up, and she was also holding a knife. It was very clear that Steve was trying or did sexually assault Krista. And following this incident, Krista's friend actually gave an account to CPS about what had happened. And Krista was removed from the home and placed in care for three months. So following this whole thing with Steve, Krista actually returned living with her mom. She started going back to school, but this is where Krista enters into a period where she is just rebelling against everything. She is rebelling at home. She's acting out. She's rebelling at school. She's skipping a lot of school. She's becoming very argumentative 
argumentative with teachers, other classmates. She's also turning to crime. She actually commits a few minor burglaries when she is aged 15. And in the end, when she is 15, she gets caught for one of these and she ends up being sent to a juvenile detention center for 12 months. Now, during this time at juvie, Krista was exposed to even more violence. She regularly got into fights with the other inmates. And it was here in juvie that it said that she became a pretty aggressive person. She was forced to have to look after herself, always watch her back, always think that someone was going to jump her. And then following her release when she is age 16, her life is just as chaotic. She ended up dropping out of school completely. She was really struggling with her mental health at this point. She had really bad insomnia. She struggled still with depression. I think she's probably struggled with depression since the age of 12, which is just so sad. And she was also at this point diagnosed with bipolar disorder. On top of this as well, she got into a string of bad relationships. The boys that she was dating were very abusive and violent to her. And then at the age of 17, another absolutely traumatic thing happened to Krista because one night Krista was walking down the street in the dark when a stranger approached her and he tried to force himself on Krista. Krista tried to get away, but the man dragged her off the street. He hit her on the head with a rock and pulled her by her hair up a hill. He forced Krista onto the ground. He placed his hand over Krista's mouth, and then he proceeded to rape her whilst hitting her on the head repeatedly with a rock. And it's honestly unbelievable, isn't it? The fact that Krista has now been raped for a second time by a stranger. It's absolutely horrific. Following this attack, Krista did report the rape and hospital records also confirm that Krista was raped. But guess what? Her mom didn't believe her again, even though it was proven that she was raped. Again, her mom is just never there for her. Unfortunately as well, they never caught the man that did rape Krista, which is just really, really, really annoying that he was just out there. So now Krista turns 18 years old and I feel like we all just need to take a moment right now and think about everything that we have just covered. She is only 18 years old and the trauma that she has gone through it's unbelievable. It's on another level. And we do need to acknowledge that Krista had a very traumatizing childhood, but we also need to remember that she is the perpetrator in today's case. So the series of events that lead up to Krista becoming a murderer, because I've got to say it happens very, very quickly. Now this all started, the series of events that lead up to the murder started when Krista decided to join a youth program called Job Corps. Now I had never heard of Job Corps before, so if any of you out there are familiar, if I get anything wrong, please correct me in the comments. So I don't actually know how many states have job corps, but um, I don't even know if it's just a US thing. Maybe it's in other countries as well. But from my research, it is a government run program for 16 to 24 year olds to finish their education. It's for those young people that didn't get their education in the more traditional way, like at high school, for example. So it's maybe for someone like Krista, 
who spent time in juvie and dropped out of school. And at the age of 18, Krista decided to join a program at Job Corps because she did drop out of school in the ninth grade. And obviously she spent time in juvie. And it seems like Krista wanted to turn her life around by going to this program, but that did not happen. So Krista's first day at Job Corps was in the fall semester of 1994. And the particular Job Corps facility that she attended was in Knoxville, Tennessee. Also, the students lived at the Jobs Corps facility. It was almost like a college dorm. Now, I'm not sure if it was just this facility or if a lot of Job Corps facilities are like this, but the one in Knoxville when Krista was attending, um, let's just say it wasn't the best. It wasn't run very well. And violence was a common occurrence amongst the students. It would actually be very common for the students to carry knives on them, like box cutters. A lot of the students as well, they had come from more troubled backgrounds. They obviously had a lot of mental health problems that were not treated. And also a lot of these times, government-run programs, they don't have the most money to invest in resources. So it was basically just a breeding ground for chaos and violence. The walls were covered in graffiti. It was a mess, like it was just dirty. Nothing was ever cleaned. There would also be blood smeared on the walls and it would just stay there like this blood on the walls and it would be after fights. Also on Krista's first weekend at Job Corps, a boy was stabbed in a bathroom. It's like it was crazy. And this was the kind of environment that Krista was entering and she was already a violent person. So her entering into an even more violent environment was uh, not a good combination. And the teachers and the staff at the facility, like I said, these programs, they don't always have the best funding, but the staff that were there just didn't really seem to care. And they just left the students to their own devices. And once Krista was there, she became even more aggressive, even more confrontational. there was a pretty significant thing that happened to Krista quite early on when she was at Job Corps. And that is when she met someone called Tadaryl Ship who is a very, very important person in today's case. So Tadaryl was 17 years old. He had grew up in Memphis, Tennessee. He was raised by his mom, who was a single parent, and things were not easy in the household. And then he dropped out of high school in the ninth grade very similar to Krista. And then once he dropped out of high school, he got involved with criminal activity. He also joined a gang. And when Tadaryl's mom realized the path that he was going down, she didn't want that for her son. She felt like her son was just throwing away his life and she wanted to get him back on the right path. So that is when Tadaryl's mom said to him, I think you should join Job Corps and get onto one of their programs, finish your education and get a job. So this is what Tadaryl did. He began attending the program at Job Corps in the fall semester of 1994, the same semester as Krista. So when Krista and Tadaryl bumped into each other for the first time, Tadaryl has said that it was love at first sight. He went up to Krista and said to her that they were meant to be together because he had had a dream about her. And Krista laughed at him. She was like, what? 
You've had a dream about me? Okay, cheesy pickup line. And to Daryl was like, no, I'm being serious. I had a dream about a girl, the girl of my dreams the other night, and I got my friend to draw a picture of that girl. So then he showed Krista this picture of the girl that he had dreamt about. The girl in the picture did look very similar to Krista. And Krista thought, oh my God, this is so romantic. This is like a little fairy tale. And literally Krista saw this as a reason to jump straight into a relationship with Tadaryl. Now, I don't know if I buy this. I don't know, maybe it is true, but I feel like Tadaryl probably just saw Krista along the corridors, told his friend to draw a picture of her and then use that as a pickup line because it's like, what? the chances that you dream of someone, get your friend to draw them, and you happen to bump into that exact person a couple of days later. And when they jumped into this relationship, it was all consuming. It was passionate. It was intense. I mean, it was like their first love. They were so obsessed with each other. And they would bond over so many things. And one of the things that they bonded over was Satanism. It's reported that Tadaryl was obsessed with Satanism and the occult. Apparently, inside of Tadaryl's dorm room, he had this satanic shrine worshipping the devil, and he loved teaching Krista about this world and introducing her to it. Now, there are a couple of documentaries on this case, and... (laughs) Oh boy, do they like to focus on the Satanism. It's like as soon as people hear the word Satan or Satanism, they run with it and say, oh my God, these people are worshipping the devil. They're so evil. They're sacrificing children. Upon doing further research, it just seemed like to Daryl, maybe he was a Satanist. I'm not saying that he wasn't, but he was just a teenager, you know? He was just looking into like creepy, darker things to be different, to be cool. I mean, he's a teenager. But on top of his interest, in Satanism, there was also another element to his personality that Krista was being introduced to, and that was his violent side. Tadaryl was a very intimidating person around the Job Corps campus. He was a pretty violent person, and apparently the other people at Job Corps were, quote, scared shitless of him. He also used to carry a razor blade in his mouth, um, which it's like, what? Really? What? On one occasion, Krista and Tadaryl were walking down the hallway and another student accidentally bumped into Krista and Tadaryl grabbed that other student by the throat, slammed them into the wall, took the razor blade out of his mouth and held it to this student's throat and said that if they ever came near Krista again, he would pay for it. And this is what Tadaryl was like. He was very prepared to jump into a fight if it meant protecting Krista. And Krista was loving this, I just want to point out. She was loving that Tadaryl would fight for her honor, when actually Tadaryl was very controlling, manipulative, and just overbearing. But Krista didn't see it like this. She saw Tadaryl as her protector, as someone that was going to look after her. And that was what their relationship was like. It was very consuming, but it was also toxic and sometimes abusive. But in 
Krista's eyes, their relationship was perfect until Krista met another girl on campus. And that young girl was Colleen Slemmer. Colleen Slemmer was born on the 20th of September, 1975. She grew up in Orange Park, Florida, where she lived with her mom, her stepdad, and her younger sister. Colleen was described as a friendly and loving child. She loved spending time with her friends and family, and she had a real big passion for computers. And early on in her life, Colleen excelled at school. However, in the ninth grade, Colleen did drop out of high school after struggling with a learning disability. And following this, she did get a number of jobs. She worked at Wendy's and Taco Bell until she just wanted more from life. She wanted to finish her education and actually do something with computers, which was her passion. So this is when she decided at the age of 19 to go back into education. And she decided to apply for the computer training program at Job Corps. Knoxville, Tennessee. She also started in the fall semester of 1994 and everything was going really great for Colleen in the beginning until she met Krista. So Colleen's first interaction with Krista was actually a few weeks after joining the program. And let's just say the first interaction did not go smoothly. So apparently, and I say apparently because this story is not completely clear and it's also only coming from Krista's mouth, who I must say is not the most reliable source at times. So apparently Krista had a friend on campus who was pregnant and Krista started to hear rumors that her pregnant friend's baby daddy was sleeping around, not being faithful, being a bit of an idiot. And one of the people that he had apparently slept with was Colleen. Now, I just want to be very clear here that there's actually no evidence that Colleen slept with anyone or even this person. And Krista went up to Colleen and basically said that she needed to watch her back. Now, Colleen wasn't having any of this. She actually told Krista to back off and mind her own business. And I'm sure that there was probably more words exchanged between the two. And I feel like we can all picture it, can't we? They're teenagers, they're petty. But from this moment on, Krista and Colleen were sworn enemies. And things only went downhill from here. And I must say that teenagers getting into fights, and I'm not talking about physical fights, I'm talking about like arguments and stuff, and saying, oh, this person is my sworn enemy. That is so common. Teenagers fight, argue, fall out all the time. But this wasn't a normal teenager falling out because Krista is a very very aggressive person. She is also dating an even more aggressive person. So it's not going to end well, is it? So we now jump forward and we get to the Thanksgiving break of 1994. So Krista went home for Thanksgiving, which she wasn't happy about because she had to go back and stay with her mom. But to Daryl stayed on campus. And who else also stayed on campus? Colleen. And apparently throughout the Thanksgiving break, when Krista was away, to Daryl and Colleen bonded. Then when Krista returned after the Thanksgiving break, she noticed that to Daryl was acting a little bit shifty, a little bit shady around her. And this is when Tadaril decided to come clean and he told Krista that over the Thanksgiving break, him and Colleen had hooked up. Now again, we don't actually know if they did hook up. However, what we do know is after Tadaril had come clean about hooking up, he started making out to Krista 
that Colleen was an obsessive stalker, that Colleen would not leave him alone. She was everywhere that he went. I feel like I can say right now for 100% that that was not true. I just feel like that sounds like a typical cheater. Does it not? Because let's get it straight, to Daryl has cheated on Krista and now he's blaming the other girl. But it worked. Krista became furious at Colleen. She was like, how dare, how dare Colleen try and steal my man? And Krista actually became convinced that Colleen wanted to steal her man. But from this moment on, Krista made Colleen's life hell. Over the next few weeks, Krista started tracking Colleen's movements. She started just showing up wherever Colleen was. She would throw insults at her. She would get into fights with Colleen in the corridors. She would threaten her all the time. She would tell her, you stay away from to Daryl or else. Colleen could basically do nothing without worrying that Krista was going to pop up around the corner. In fact, Colleen even phoned up her mom and said that she wanted to drop out of Job Corps because there was this other girl that was bullying her and making her life hell. Now, Colleen on this phone call didn't tell her mom the other girl's name. So Colleen's mom didn't know who Krista was at this point. And Colleen's mom, not knowing how bad it truly was, convinced Colleen to stick it out. See if you can maybe make it a little bit longer. See if you can push through the bullying. So this is what Colleen did. But unfortunately, Krista was not about to let this drop. And this whole teenage romance, teenage love triangle, whatever you want to call it, would soon come to a tragic end. So now we get to January of 1995. Krista, Daryl, and Colleen have all returned back to the Job Corps campus after the Christmas break. And I just want to point out here that this is only three to four months after all three of those people have met. This has escalated so quickly. So once they are all back on campus, the feud between Krista and Colleen continues. And one day, Krista returns back to her room on the campus. And when she puts the key inside the door and she opens the door and she looks inside of her room, her room is a mess. It looks like someone has broken in and pretty much broken everything, destroyed things. Her clothes had been cut up with razor blades. There were items smashed on the floor. And devastatingly, the photographs that Krista had of her grandmother, Dalphi, the good grandmother, all of those photographs had been cut up. Now, when Krista looked around the room, she only had one thought in her mind. And that was, this was Colleen. Colleen did this. Now, Krista had no proof that Colleen had actually done this. I mean, I have talked about the violence that is on this campus. It is very likely that someone else could have done this, but it didn't matter to Krista. She was obsessed with Colleen. Let's be realistic. Krista is obsessed with Colleen and making her life hell. So Krista was fully set on revenge. So shortly after this break-in, uh, Krista sits down with Tadaryl and she says to him that they need to do something about Colleen. So the two of them come up with a plan to lure Colleen off of campus and attack her. And Krista wanted to do this off campus because if she was caught 
fighting, misbehaving one more time on the campus, she would be kicked off of the program. And then a few days later, on the 11th of January, 1995, Krista approached another friend on campus, a girl called Kim. And Krista told her that she had a plan in mind. Krista said to this friend with no hesitation, I'm going to kill Colleen. And I think we just need to pause here and actually reflect how quickly this has escalated. Like I said, this is like three to four months after all three of them have met. And now Krista wants to kill Colleen. It's like, are you being serious right now? It's like, I understand teenage drama. I understand that when you are a teenager, these little petty arguments feel like the end of the world. Why don't you just have an argument like a normal teenager, just have it out in the playground, something. Why did it escalate to murder? Like why? So on the 12th of January, 1995, the day after Krista expressed that she wanted to kill Colleen, Tadaral and Colleen started to put their unbelievable plan into action. So firstly, they get another friend involved. Yes, there is a third person involved in this murder, and that friend was Shadola Peterson. They wanted Shadola around to be the lookout for the murder, essentially. And then the three of them, or at least the two of them, Krista and Tadaral, came up with a plan on how to lure Colleen off of campus. So on that morning, Morning, during school hours, Krista went up to Colleen and said that her, Tadaral, and Shadola were going to Blockbuster that evening to rent a movie and watch it. Would she like to come along? Now, Colleen, when she heard this, she was very hesitant because it's like, um, what? You have been bullying me for months and now you want me to go to Blockbuster with you? But Colleen kind of thought that Krista was making a peace offering and Colleen was really hopeful that if she agreed to go to Blockbuster with Krista, maybe the bullying would stop. So in the end, Colleen agreed to go with them. So on the evening of the 12th of January at 8 p.m., the four of them met up and started walking to Blockbuster. However, during their walk, just as they're passing by a park, Krista stops in her tracks and shouts, hey, I've got some weed hidden in that park. Why don't we all go in there and smoke some? So the four of them started walking through this park and then Krista starts to lead them into like a foresty woodland area. And sadly, this was Krista's plan all along to get Colleen into this forest area. And Colleen started to feel uneasy. She started to feel like this was a trap. So she said to Krista, what's going on? There isn't any weed here. And this is when Krista turned to Colleen and said, no, there isn't. And Krista launched a big rant at Colleen, shouting at Colleen so many insults and started to shout at her that she was never going to steal to Daryl off her. And then before Colleen could even react to this rant, Krista launched her vicious attack. It started with Krista throwing multiple punches at Colleen, striking her many times in the face. Colleen threw her hands up, trying to defend herself. She was screaming and pleading for Krista to stop, but Krista just ignored her and instead... Krista grabbed Colleen's hair. She pulled her head backwards before smashing her head into her knee, breaking Colleen's nose. Tadaral and Shadola just stood by and watched. 
did nothing. Colleen was on the ground. She was screaming in pain. And then without any remorse, any feeling, whilst Colleen is rolling around on the ground, screaming in pain, screaming for the attack to stop, Krista just started kicking her in the head and also repeatedly slamming her head against the ground. Colleen, through this whole attack, was screaming, why are you doing this to me? And suddenly, midway through the attack, Colleen actually managed to find the strength to get up and run away. And this is exactly what she did. But before she got far, Tadaryl jumped on her. He grabbed her and threw her back to the ground. Tadaryl then started to repeatedly bang Colleen's head against the hard floor. At this point, blood was pouring down Colleen's face. She was struggling to breathe at this point, but she still managed to find the strength to pull herself up and away from Tadaryl to try and escape. But unfortunately, again, she didn't make it too far before Krista and Tadaryl both jumped on her. They dragged her back into some nearby bushes and threw her to the ground. At this point, the two of them then tore Colleen's clothes off, removing both her shirt and her bra. They were hoping that this would cause enough embarrassment to Colleen that she wouldn't try to escape again. And then with Colleen lying on the floor, Krista pulled out a box cutter and just started slashing at Colleen's stomach. Colleen was still begging for her life. She was in a complete state of panic. She was asking, why are you doing this? Please stop. She was pleading with Krista and to Daryl. And then unbelievably, for the next 45 minutes, Krista and Tadaryl essentially tortured Colleen. Using the box cutter, they cut Colleen's body over 300 times. At some point during this 45-minute attack, Tadaryl decided to carve a pentagram into Colleen's chest. However, even after this 45-minute attack, Colleen was bleeding profusely. She was still somehow clinging to life. And it's so heartbreaking to think that Colleen was alive throughout that whole 45-minute attack. She was alive for those 300 cuts all over her body. She was alive when Tadaryl carved that pentagram into her chest. But Krista, Tadaryl, and even Shadola, and Shadola hadn't participated physically in the attack, but she was there throughout the whole thing. All three of them just ignored Colleen's pleas. It was at this point, after 45 minutes, that Krista pulled out a meat cleaver that she had brought with her and she used this to cut Colleen across the throat. Once again, even though Colleen's throat had been cut, she was still clinging to life. But Krista only had one ending in mind. She wasn't about to let Colleen live. After failing to end Colleen's life with the meat cleaver, Krista picked up a piece of concrete that she found just nearby and she used this to repeatedly smash Colleen in the head. And tragically, after fighting against Krista and to Daryl for so long, this was the moment that Colleen Slemmer lost her life. However, even when Colleen lost her life, that still was not enough for Krista. She continued to smash Colleen's face with the concrete block that she had. And she did this so viciously that the side of Colleen's head had started to cave in and a piece of her skull had started to fall away. And finally, after Krista was finished, she threw the concrete block onto the ground and then she dragged Colleen's body in some nearby bushes. But she then 
picked up that piece of skull that fell away and put it in her pocket. And the brutality of that attack is just truly beyond belief. It's like Krista clearly had an issue with Colleen, but how did she hate Colleen that much? This attack lasted for 45 minutes. That is a hell of a long time to carry out a murder. It was done in a way to prolong Colleen's suffering. At any point in that 45 minutes, Krista could have come to her senses and thought to herself, you know what, this is not right, I should stop right now. And if she had just stopped, Colleen may still be here. And to Daryl as well. I know I'm saying Krista because obviously Krista did carry out the majority of the murder, but to Daryl joined in as well. So following the murder later that evening at around 11pm, Krista, to Daryl and Shadola arrive back on campus. Krista actually goes around bragging about what she has done. So Krista first went to Kim's room, who was the friend that Krista had confided in that she wanted to kill Colleen in the first place. And when Krista was inside Kim's room, she was on cloud nine. She was in such a good mood. She was laughing, she was singing, she was dancing. And Kim was wondering, what's going on? Like, why are you in such a good mood? And this is when Krista revealed to her friend that she had just killed Colleen. Now her friend was hesitant to believe her. I mean, you would be, wouldn't you? I mean, if someone had just come running into your room and starts saying that they've killed someone, you probably wouldn't believe them. But then Krista pulled out the piece of Colleen's skull from her pocket to prove that she was telling the truth. The next morning, Krista is attending classes and she is telling even more people that she murdered Colleen. She was showing off the piece of skull as if it was like a show and tell. She was showing other classmates the blood stains on her shoes, on her clothes, which was the blood of Colleen. I just cannot get over this. I cannot. It's unbelievable the way Krista is acting after this murder. She has no remorse. And unbelievably, even though Krista is literally shouting from the rooftops that she murdered Colleen, Colleen's body wouldn't be discovered until two days later. So finally, a couple of days after the murder, Colleen's body was found by just somebody walking through the park and an investigation was immediately launched. I mean, it was very clear that she had been murdered by her injuries. And shockingly, Krista had the audacity to visit the crime scene. She actually started talking to officers on the scene. It's like, are you being serious? She is loving this. I'm sorry, she's loving this. It's almost like she's inserting herself into the investigation. She's getting another kick out of it. And at that point, the police had no reason to think that Krista was involved in any way. They just thought that she was a concerned classmate. And it wasn't long until the investigators on the case discovered the pentagram carved into Colleen's chest. And as you can imagine, there was a little bit of a frenzy when the pentagram was revealed to the public. So when people heard about this pentagram carved into this girl's chest, people were thinking, oh my God, this is satanic rituals. This was a sacrifice. But the fact that there was a pentagram carved into Colleen's chest was actually the reason why Krista and Tadaryl were linked to the murder. Because people knew that Tadaryl and Krista were interested in satanism. So then investigators investigator started to talk to other students at Job Corps and it wasn't long until it was pretty much confirmed that Tadaryl and Krista had committed this murder but also Shadola was there as well. So all three 
were arrested and charged with murder. And to be honest, I'm surprised that it took that long because Krista was literally telling everybody that she had murdered Colleen. Like, seriously, why did it take them so long? I know it did only take them a couple of days, but still a couple of days too long. When Krista was brought in for questioning, shockingly, she actually gave a full confession. I mean, she was shouting from the rooftops, like I said, that she did it. So she probably thought that there was no point lying. She told the police everything. She told them about the tense relationship between her and Colleen. She told them all about the drama of Colleen trying to steal her man, etc. Also, Krista's dorm room was searched and a ton of evidence was found, including the bloody clothes that she was wearing during the murder. They also found Colleen's ID cards and they also found the piece of skull. Tadaral also admitted his involvement in the murder as well. And Shadola was also very forthcoming about her involvement as well. So then when it went to trial, which was approximately a year after the murder, Shadola had actually decided to turn state witness. Now Shadola, if you remember, was the lookout. She never actually committed the murder. I mean, she's still obviously guilty. She didn't stop the murder. She knew about the murder before it happened and she could have told somebody. So she she is still guilty and she still needs to be held accountable. But Shadola was actually a key part in why we know so many details about the murder. She was actually integral to the investigation. And in exchange for her testimony, she was given probation. Then it came to, to Daryl and Krista, their trial. Now, Krista's defense tried to use Krista's childhood as mitigating factors. They said that it was because of her traumatic childhood and her mental health issues. That is why Krista reacted the way she did. That is why she murdered Colleen and that should be taken into account. However, the prosecution were not having any of this. They had a psychiatrist that testified that did say Krista is obviously suffering with her mental health. She definitely had a traumatic childhood but she was still in full control of her actions. And that at the time of the murder, Krista was not suffering with any form of insanity. And given the overwhelming evidence against Krista and to Daryl, it didn't take the jury very long to reach a verdict. They found to Daryl Schiff guilty of murder and he was sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole after 25 years. Now, when it came to Krista, Krista was also found guilty of murder, but Krista was 18 at the time of the murder, meaning that she was an adult. And Tadaral was only 17 at the time of the murder, so Krista received a different sentence. On the 30th of March, 1996, just a few weeks after her 20th birthday, Krista Pike was sentenced to death by electrocution, making her the youngest woman ever to be sentenced to death in the US. And upon this sentence being read out, you can see Krista, there is footage of her in court. She breaks down in tears. It is therefore ordered that you shall be put to death by now, even though Krista showed remorse for herself when the sentence was read out, Krista showed no remorse to Colleen whatsoever. Throughout the whole trial, she never showed any emotion. And just a few days after being sentenced to death, Krista wrote to Daryl a letter. And this letter honestly 
oh my God, it makes my blood boil. And this letter truly shows how unbothered Krista is about what she has done. So I am going to read out a little bit of the letter. So the letter said, quote, please write me. I miss you so much. You see what I get for trying to be nice to the hoe? I went ahead and bashed her brains out so she'd die quickly instead of letting her bleed to death and suffer more. And they fucking fry me. Ain't that some shit? Please write me and tell me what you're feeling. Love you for the rest of my life. I'm sorry. Oh my God. Is she actually trying to justify killing Colleen by bashing her brains out so she would die quickly so she wouldn't suffer more? Are you actually being serious right now? You tortured Colleen for 45 minutes. How is that trying to be nice? And I can't believe that she called Kalina Ho. It's just, oh my God, this letter is disgusting. Now, in the years that have followed, Krista has made many appeals against her death sentence, arguing that she shouldn't have been sentenced to death due to her young age and also her troubled upbringing and just everything that she went through. She also did a TV interview trying to plead her case. I did something horrible that is unacceptable. And I realized that but I don't deserve to die for the actions of three individuals. However, Krista has tried to argue that she is a changed person, that she is no longer that monster that she used to be. However, her behavior in prison says otherwise. Because in August of 2001, just five years after she was sentenced, so five years, pretty decent amount of time to change Krista. Krista launched an attack on another inmate where she attempted to strangle the other inmate with a shoelace. And she nearly, nearly succeeded in strangling that inmate to death. And following this attack, Krista was given another conviction of attempted murder. So does that really sound like a changed person to you? Does it? Does it? No. And that was the case of Krista Pike, the youngest woman ever to be sentenced to death in the US. And that case, I cannot believe it. It really was two halves, wasn't it? I mean, if you think back to the first half of this video, I think I can safely say that we all felt sorry for Krista because there is no denying that she had a very, very traumatic childhood. No one should have the childhood that she did. But then as soon as she went to Job Corps, it's almost like she turned into a different person. I mean, before Job Corps, she was already getting on the wrong path. She was already becoming a very aggressive, angry person. And then I think when she met to Daryl, I think both of them together, they almost just fed off each other and they weren't good for each other. It's just crazy how you can feel so much sympathy for somebody because of what they have gone through in their childhood. But then all of that sympathy really does get forgotten very quickly because of how sadistic Krista is. And finally, I want to end this reflecting on Colleen, the victim of this story. Colleen Slemmer was described as a friendly and loving child who had a huge passion for computer and loved spending time with family. She had dreams of getting an education, turning her life around and going on to thrive in whatever she chose to pursue. But this was all taken away far too soon. She was only 
19 years old. And that is just what makes this case so much heartbreaking is that Colleen was only 19 years old. She was still such a baby. She had her whole life ahead of her. And one more thing that I want to add at the end of this video, Colleen's mother, May, who has already been through such unimaginable heartbreak, is still going through heartbreak to this very day. Because remember the piece of skull that Krista took? Well, that piece of skull is still being held in evidence. And that piece of skull will remain in evidence until Krista either wins an appeal or she gets executed, which literally means indefinitely because we don't know when or if either one will happen. Colleen's mother, May, has begged and begged for over 20 years at this point for that piece of skull to be returned to her. She wants to fully reclaim her daughter and that is the only piece that is missing. And she is still to this day begging and hoping that that piece of skull is going to be returned to her. And I really do hope that that piece of Colleen's skull is returned to her mother sooner rather than later and that she gets the closure that she deserves. And that brings us to the end of the episode on Krista Pike. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening today. Subscribe or follow to make sure you never miss an episode of The Criminal Makeup. And if you enjoy the show, it would really mean a lot if you could leave a five-star review because it really does help out the podcast. In the meantime, if you've been affected by any of the themes in this episode, please take the time to look at the description for this episode for some helpful resources. Special thanks to my producers at Audio Boom Studios, and I'll see you all in the next one.